0: Welcome to the Billings Police Department Unfiltered Podcast. I'm Lieutenant Brandon Woolley with the Billings Police Department, and we're going to be talking some more downtown issues today. Uh, If you have not listened to episodes number two and three, uh, go ahead and listen to those, and that's where we talk about some of uh, the downtown problems mostly. Uh, But today we're going to be focused on some solutions. So uh, i got two guests with me today. Uh, First is going to be Officer Bradman, sir. Brad, you've been on before. Welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me. And our next guest, is a special guest, is going to be uh, first time here, but Cody Christensen. Welcome. Thank you. Cody, uh, for a proper introduction here, uh, can you just kind of tell us who you are and and what you do?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Cody Christensen, like you said. I am the Resource Outreach Coordinator for the Downtown Billings Alliance. So basically, I get a ride around with the downtown resource officers and with the goal of trying to get people into treatment. Okay.
0: And so your position, uh, how are you funded and how are, you, how are we
1: able to make this work? So my position was originally it was through the DBA and now we were able to use the county matching grant to fund my position. Okay, and so you ride with the DBA guys uh, to
0: basically align out for treatment. If you guys could kind of speak to why, why are we doing that? What's the benefits of having an outreach coordinator? with our officers
1: downtown. So basically one of the big benefits is that we get to meet people where they're at so we can build those relationships with them and figure out what the best option is for that individual specifically, rather than referring everybody to one specific program in town. It's just a national best practice. You see better results from that and longer lasting results.
0: Good. Brad, can you speak to a little bit about the importance of having somebody like Cody here with you, uh, in your day-to-day dealings?
2: Yeah. So over the last year, 2020, we saw a national conversation come up asking for more social work, more non-law enforcement counselors and peer support and outreach coordinators to go along with law enforcement, um, to ride with law enforcement to calls, helping out with de-escalation, different situations like that. And Fortunately, we've been head of the curve. We've had this program in one form or another around for the last um, six, eight years. And this is our newest iteration. Um, We're going about it a little differently this time, um, but we're kind of seeing that national conversation is something that we're bringing to this as well. Like Cody had said, best practices. And that's something we're bringing to the program. Um, We just see this as a big need for the community, especially our downtown population, where they have a hard time getting two services so part of that is bringing services to them initially hoping to get them into places for treatment or all the other steps they need to get back onto a functioning lifestyle so what i'm
0: what i'm hearing from you guys a little bit is that this is a proactive approach um and can you speak to the timing of our interventions with with this when you're able to get to people before they're in crisis and how important that is
1: yeah absolutely so every day we're out doing outreach in the within the community focusing on our downtown area specifically but doing that, we can, like I said, build those relationships with them so they can build that trust with us and then know that they can open up to us a little bit and say, this is what I'm really needing right now, whether that's getting my driver's license again, or getting signed up under Medicaid, or if I'm working on getting housing that way, we know exactly who to refer them to. And then we can follow up with them too and hold them accountable.
0: Good. And so you guys are doing this full time. We've got two DBA officers uh, and you out there dealing with this. And for those who haven't listened to the previous downtown podcast, Brad, can you speak to the minute a little bit about some of the, the issues that we're dealing with, that the, th- the improvements that we're trying to make with the downtown area?
2: Yes, yeah, so the crimes that occur downtown that are common amongst the, the homeless transient population are drinking in public. Um, we don't have a law for public intoxication, but being intoxicated to the point of needing medical services, um, trespassing while intoxicated typically, also revolves around um, the shoplifting or theft of alcohol, or in some cases, mouthwash or hand sanitizer to become intoxicated Um, and and then public urination. Those are, those are the big quality of life crimes that are in law that we are targeting. And those are the big ones that we see downtown. Um, The other one I didn't talk about was panhandling and aggressive solicitation. We're also watching out for that too, Um, that that's a big in your face violation that we work on stopping curbing Um, the big issue with it is that we have every service in town someone would need to get back up on their feet and the individuals panhandling choose to ignore those you can get three meals a day you get clothed showered Um, we can get you to any appointment you need to get a hold of we have different places like the hub through the mental health center and Riverstones healthcare for the homeless they've got case managers licensed addictions counselors peer support personnel uh, mental health and addiction counselors at the mental health center as well. Um, no one in our community should go hungry. We have every service available and the panhandlers are nine times out of 10, 10 times out of 10, just panhandling to further their addiction. And when we get that, that's when we start seeing people digging the trash cans downtown, littering while they're looking for food or scraps. We've got people passed out along the the streets and on bus benches and Sleeping against buildings—that's um, where we see our quality of life start going down—is when we all of these things kind of come together.
0: And you're tar- you're largely talking about like impact, right? And we talked about this on the past episodes of uh, perception of the feeling of being unsafe downtown. There's impact to some some businesses um, and that type of stuff. So as far as um, your guys' interaction and stuff with, uh, with Cody downtown. Let's talk about, let's talk about some of those services and where we're going. We, we've, we kind of hit a spot with COVID where the jail wasn't taking people, there was no room. Um, and then you also mentioned that, you know, we're kind of evolving some of these programs involving Cody with, with this outreach, uh, and then, you know, the, the map program that we have. So let's kinda, let's kinda head off in that direction and let's talk about those services. Um, So whichever one comes the, you you know, whatever you guys think hits next on what we should hit with uh, whether those are partnerships locally
2: or, you know. So we're developing a lot of partnerships now that we're going at the MAP program, um, which was in effect. And then the reason we ended the MAP program was we'd lost jail beds and the MAP program was a way of getting people into treatment as a sentencing option. focuses directly on alcohol addiction or addictions that have people be homeless. So it's, it's a homeless transient targeted population that we're getting into these alternative programs um, to hopefully curb the addiction to get them and out of that cycle of homelessness. Um, and so with that, we have a, the DBA actually has a charity organization called Spare Change for Real Change. And the main goal of that is to end panhandling, which we just, I just mentioned. Um, through donations by the community that we can make small grants to all of these service providers through spare change. Um, so if St. Vincent de Paul needs winter coats and they make a request to us for a donation of money we can we can make that grant or that donation um, instead of giving that guy five dollars on the road you can donate five dollars to spare change for real change and we can effect a greater outcome for some of these people. We can help keep funding dinner programs, lunch programs, Salvation Army could come to us if they needed to. Um, so that's one thing that we're working on is we're bringing, revitalizing Spare Change for Real Change. Um, the other thing we've got is for the longest time, and everybody knows that the jail's is full. Um, we haven't had any jail beds. The only people that get to go are violent offenders at risk to the community. And recently, Captain Bodine and Sheriff Linder came to the police department looking to revigorate or revitalize the map program can you explain to me what the what map stands for yes it's the motivated alternative addiction program is that is that right Cody did he get it right no, I got all it right let's fix it what do, you, what do we got
1: motivated addiction alternative program right. close enough <laughs> there we go
2: so kind
0: of explain that program how that works from start to finish and then we can uh, we can talk some about how the jail's important with that so let's say the so so I think the question would be for you Cody is is we're we're using this map program and let's work the process from if you guys are out patrolling around, you interact with some people. We've got resources that we can get these people to, if you could talk to those, and then we'll we'll talk about when those resources aren't being utilized and it becomes a problem where law enforcement has to get involved, and then we have this layer of map,
1: correct? Right. So one thing that we're doing with the current map program is that they'll have that option before law enforcement gets involved. Hey, we can get you into treatment. Um, And help you out with your record, but you you would have to complete an entire treatment program So that's one option that we're working on the other one is that after Law enforcement does get involved then we can work with them and figure out like I said before you want that best treatment for them to sustain a longer long-term Sobriety so one thing that we've done is worked with and we're building that relationship with other community partners where we can figure out who has the um, ability to commit, whether that be inpatient treatment, who has the ability to commit uh, room for their, for them in the programs or whatever works. But we, we need those commitments from the community partners to make sure that we can include them at the table. Um, cause without that, the program, the program's only going to work as well as the whole community is involved. So cause it, it really does take a village to do something like this. So one thing that we've been doing is building those relationships with the entire continuum of care which would include all the services in town. So that's something that's really important. And I think that they, once everybody has that almost that buy-in, then you'll see the real change happen. See, and you guys were
0: um, talking about the list of the, the partners. And one of the things that I was kind of, uh, I didn't realize even was how many partners in the community that you have. Uh, can you guys rattle some of those off and just let people know like how many people are engaging
2: in this problem right now? There are more than on this list and we've, these are the ones we've reached out to and we've gotten either agreements that we're gonna set something up and get going forward. Um, but the city attorney's office is gonna be instrumental because we're gonna be, this be after sentencing. It'll be after someone pleads guilty in court to this, this, they get sentenced to this program. And so we have the city attorney, um, which is the city court system. We have the jail, um, who is our other big partner in this program, um, obviously the DBA, which, Houses officer Tanis and myself, um, and then Rimrock treatment. They are one of our big players and they're, they're a big support in the community anyways, um, we have St. Vincent de Paul, they are a nonprofit and they're operating a breakfast and lunch center. I don't know the correct term for them would be, but they're working on a grant through the state that'll let them be open from seven to seven during the day, basically a day shelter. Um, where, and they're hoping to host groups for any number of treatments during the day, um, get people out of the cold, get them out of the heat, be able to house people, get them fed get their, those base needs met so that they can move on to the next step in recovery. And then we have Riverstone and they have a healthcare for the homeless clinic downtown. Um, we've been working with them and they've been fantastic. Um, the mental health center has been a big help in that. It's actually some of our grants go through them. Um, Everyone always remembers the hub, the hub building downtown. Well, the hub's actually part of the mental health center, and they're still operating those services, which are vital, um, up at the mental health center, which is next to Rimrock. And then we have the crisis center. Um, They've been a big community leader, and they've been involved with us since the beginning of this program. And then there's Billings Indian Urban Health and Wellness, which is a newer center in the last couple of years. Um, And because a large population of our homeless are Native American, having that buy-in from the Billings Urban Indian Health and Wellness has been big. One of our past Rock Research Outreach coordinators is actually a licensed addictions counselor for um, Billings Billings and in Urban Indian Health, and then the Salvation Army. Um, they do a lot of outreach too, and mostly through food donations and clothing. And there's more on the list that we haven't even mentioned, but those are the main ones we've gone to already. Right,
0: and that's a that's a big list. That's a lot of people trying to put stuff together to help fix the problem. One of the, one of the newer resources that, um, uh, came out recently was this low barrier shelter. Cody, can you kind of talk about that shelter and how it's used and what that looks like?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So off the streets is what they're calling the low, the low barrier shelter, which this low barrier shelter is a temporary emergency response to the needs of the community because of COVID. Um, it started in the beginning of november mid-november for the low barrier side they also absorbed the q and i which stands for quarantine and isolation site from riverstone health um they dedicated 20 rooms to q and i where people can either wait for symptoms to subside or wait for their results to be given back to them the low barrier side there's room for i believe 54 people um everybody that is presented to the low barrier shelter has to be diverted there from the community crisis center which is the main point of diversion so if a police officer finds somebody and um, wants to take them to the shelter they still have to go through the crisis center but we just wanted to make sure that we're working with everybody and the police department definitely asked that there would be one drop-off point so that's going to be the community crisis center um the low barrier shelter is not a duplication of services we're not offering any services at this location if somebody is able to be diverted to a different resource whether that be mrm's emergency shelter that starts at 10 p.m if they have to start at or stay at the crisis center overnight because they're in a mental health crisis if they have to go to the hospital whatever it needs to be that's where they would be diverted to if they meet that criteria for that specific site um so everybody at this shelter specifically are the people that you would normally see on the streets over the winter. Um, our goal from the Continuum of Care was to make sure that um, there's a place for everybody on the street, so nobody has to stay on the streets overnight. We don't, we're don't. tired of seeing that um, multiple people freeze to death over the winter staying on the streets. So our goal with it was to make sure that everybody had a place to go at night that was warm and safe um, and giving them that, that dignity and respect that they deserve, because they're still people and members of the community. Um, The other thing that we would want to touch on is that This is a temporary response. So it's only going through until next November at that point we're hoping that we'd have a New plan for a long-term low barrier shelter within town. So whether that be a specific Service already in town just expanding their current services or if there needs to be some entirely new one um, created but this this temporary response was a continuum of care Group work group that worked on it. So, I mean, including it had the hospitals, it had Riverstone Health, it had HRDC, Housing Authority, Tumbleweed, Montana Rescue Mission, St. Vincent de Paul, Salvation Army. I mean, it was a huge group of us. So, um, dedicated a lot of time and a lot of hours to building this up from the ground. So, um, it was a awesome to see that all of us could come together and work on that to make sure that there was no duplication of services. The other thing we had to do was sign a, um, a agreement that we would have to a consensus agreement, so we would have to all agree on whatever was decided before we could even leave the room. So there were some long nights, but we all had to agree before we could move on to the next topic.
0: Let me uh, let me take it back because you added kind of the the humanizing component into this problem a little bit. And I, and I think for the average citizen in Billings, they're not aware of what those problems really look like at the, at the ground level. And, and to highlight, you know, one of those tragedies where you're talking about people freezing to death in, in the downtown area, um, it was last year or so, uh, a gentleman was, was in a dumpster that got picked up uh, for, for garbage and then, and then dumpster crushed him, killed him. Uh, huge tragedy. Right. Um, But uh, when that hit the newspaper, you know, we, we, we watch stuff on social media and you see a lot of people automatically go to like, well, was, uh, was there a homicide? Was the body dumped? Was there, you know, was there a, a nefarious crime? And we don't assume or make the assumption that, you know, Uh, He was likely in there sleeping because it was warm or a place to be out of the elements and stuff like that. And that's kind of that ugly portion of that reality. So this low barrier shelter and these services do make an impact for these
1: people. Exactly. Yeah. So there, you hear that all the time and it's not just in Billings, but they will, um, these people will climb into dumpsters to stay warm, like you said, and get out of the elements um, because they either are not able to use a service in town because they don't meet the criteria or they're afraid to use services because they've turned out, been turned down from certain ones. So they don't trust any services now. So there's a lot of components to it, but the main thing was with this specific low barrier shelter, we wanted to meet them where they're at, build that relationship and then get them into a program and hold them accountable still. So we're not enabling them.
0: So back on onto the, the map program a little bit and how that works, Brad, as far as, um, what does that look like for the agreements? How is that supposed to help with enforcement? And then obviously back onto the importance of the jail and, and betting.
2: Mm-hmm. So with the program, someone gets arrested for, and lately we've got guys and girls with 20, 30, 40 warrants. Usually those warrants consist of failure to appear on outstanding tickets or arrests for hope container, trespassing, the the quality of life violations. And once they get to jail, they they get an opportunity to see their case through court. And once it comes to the finalization, if they've pled guilty or been found guilty, they get brought into the program as a sentencing option. Um, If someone accepts or takes that option instead of sitting straight time, which would be if you're sentenced to four months or the MAP program, as long as they take the MAP program, they will be brought in right away. What we'll do is meet them at the jail initially. Our plan is that send them through a program called Prime for Life, which Cody's working with and doing, and it gets them ready to get into treatment. And being in the jail, they're sober, and this might be the longest period of sobriety for some of these people for quite a while, up to years. Um, and from here, we can get them signed up with programs in town locally or even regionally in the state that would meet them. Are they a veteran? Well, we have programs for that. And there's different programs in the state with the VA. Are they... Um, do they have somewhere to go, like a home they can go to? Well, we can send them home under the agreement that they go to an outpatient group every day. We need to see them sober every day. If, if you miss so much, or so many days, or you just skip out, you show up intoxicated, well, we're going to revoke you, and then you get to sit the rest of your time instead of outside on treatment. You, you get to go to the jail, and um, at the jail we will have iPads or vir- some sort of virtual um, treatment where they can still do the program. They've just lost the ability to be out and about on the streets because we know people won't follow through they there's numbers out there that take some five seven times of treatment before it really sticks and catches on people and so we know there'll be people that won't go through with the program but we have we have that backup that you know you're sentenced to jail time but you're doing this program instead and so until the program's completed that jail time is still sitting over there it's it's suspended time um and so we've kind of got the the fallback there if, if someone doesn't follow through or they walk away from Rimrock or um, if they go to MCDC in Butte and they don't, they just walk away or they never make it on the bus. You know, we've got we've got recourse for them not following through with the program and we'll still hit them with the program in jail. They'll just use that, lose that freedom of being out. Um, because it is a misdemeanor, Sentences um, can't be more than a year. None of the sentences for these crimes are more than six months at a maximum. Anyways, the problem is these guys, some of them have 50 to 70 warrants outstanding and each warrant holds a six month maximum. Um, All of that would be concurrent. You finish the program 30 days, 60 days, and it would all get dismissed or time served and things like that.
1: I also want to add that one thing that I think we want to be very clear about is that with this updated program, we're giving Everybody a choice. So there's not going to be one specific program. We were referring them to we're gonna give them all the options Um, We'll point out which ones will probably work best for them Um, and Once they decide on that then we can help them get into that program So one thing that is going to be a little different than the last program is that we can hold them accountable um, Get them into a program that works best for them, but they have that choice so once somebody has that choice and feel like they have a say in what their future holds then you see it's it's just national best practice. You see those um, rates go down of ending up back on the streets. You see that they have a longer term of sobriety, whether that be six months to a year, whatever it might be. They may come back and drink, and they may not. But I think it's important that we also highlight that. Um, we want to give them that choice, whether that be if they're going to work with Rimrock, if they're going to work at the Crisis Center, in LAC from Riverstone a healthcare for the homeless they're going to have that choice and then have that one thing that's been great about um COVID that i think we can all agree on is that the ability to do things virtually so we can bring the treatment to them now whether ra- rather than taking up a bed at rimrock or um the crisis center we can bring that treatment to them over a computer um we also know that be- national again na- national best practice having that in-person contact is still really important for treatment. So we can still do that in-person group at at a smaller setting. So it's still socially distanced and COVID safe. So that is something we're also looking at is to make sure that, um, we're not going to be putting them in danger at all. So we're going to handle this at a, at a way that is going to benefit them more long-term.
0: Excellent. So before we kind of went on a little diversion brad we uh circled back around back to the jail the jail reached out to us and said hey uh, we want to contribute they're a good partner um talk about how that um that commitment of those beds and stuff is affecting the program
2: yeah so this program started about eight years ago seven years ago with officer lenick and officer nichols who's now sergeant lenick and initially it was the jail is half the partner. They, the jail beds, getting people in to sit while they're waiting for sentencing um, or to go through the program is, is is half the program. If we don't have that, we don't have the other half. We don't have the the punishment of the discipline for not following through. Most of the people on the streets have an issue with following through. That's half the reason they're probably on the streets. Um, you know, you mean to make it to an appointment today? Well, you get stopped halfway and never make it. That's a, That's a very... Regular thing we hear from people. Why didn't you go to housing today? Why didn't you go get your ID card from Hub? Why didn't you? Well, I got halfway there and I quit. So, follow through is a big issue. And so, having the jail um, and being able to put people there on valid arrests and violations of law um, is huge in making the program. And so, we've been going to the jail asking for a long time now for space, and they've never had the option. Well, recently, Captain Bodine, who's in charge of the jail, and then Sheriff Linder came to us. So they finally have the opportunity to give us some space. And then we were, I think, hopefully, the first one they thought about. Um, and so they, they've given 10 beds at the jail that Arthur Tanis and I have the authority to arrest and put people in. Those reserve spots are for nobody else but us and for this program, because they see all of these quality of life crimes are kind of like a gateway drug. It, that, that old mentality that These may be the first crimes committed, but they always evolve into more, Um, whether that be robbery, um, burglary. We see a lot of that with transients, not a lot, but um, start small. And then eventually, the more they're on the street, the more desperate they may get. And without any outside influence stopping them, there's nothing to stop that cycle of crime and poverty. And so they are also working on a an old rec room, make it into a, a map bed center. I don't know what they would call it, but it, a 15, 20 person cell uh, room to work with this program as well. So the jails, they're moving forward with us um, on their own side of this. And they've they've given us more than we could have hoped for in the beginning of this last year. Um, and it's really got this program started all over again. So,
0: and that's great to hear because Prior to COVID, we were already kind of moving into the area and and, and the jail was full, Um, you know, and then we get into COVID, uh, they have to uh, release a lot of people from the jail, and then uh, they go to restrictions and lockdowns, which kind of helped kind of impede that progress. Now that we have those beds, kind of paint the picture for me what the impact you've seen before we had these beds, and then now and what that looks like.
2: So on the streets before we had the beds, kind of a free for all, um, the, the homeless population had zero recourse. We were giving some people one or two tickets a day, a ticket of summons in the court, just like you get for speeding. It was the most we could do. Um, they weren't going to jail. They weren't being impeded on. I might stop them, dump out their beer, but they're on city property. I leave them alone. They, they get to stay where they are. I just, they just lose the open container. They have, If they're fighting in the street. I write them a, a notice to appear into court for maybe assault. That doesn't they both get to walk their separate ways. There was, no, there was no recourse for anything that they were doing. And we had a guy who had 70 warrants within this year for outstanding four to, uh, to appear on the tickets we'd given them. Um, and that's a huge number of issues and things that have come up. And at no point in his dealings were we able to stop him from doing any of it. We couldn't even remove him from private property. I mean, you remove him, he goes right back and you just, you just remove him again. There's no... Legal ramifications for him for doing what he was doing, and they know it. Um, and now that we have these beds, we've got five guys currently in on the five beds we have reserved. Um, and we, when we heard we had these beds, we very purposely f- thought of and found the guys we know are kind of the linchpins or the the center points of their homeless transient groups. Um, since they've been in jail, their groups don't exist. And with those groups not existing, they're not on the street corner at Sixth and Twenty-Seventh panhandling. Those those people aren't sitting on the backside of the art museum because that person, whoever is kind of the popular kid, the leader of their group, him not existing makes his group not exist. Um, Whether that be because he has more money or he has more influence or a couple of them have walkers and they get all the sympathy, whether or not they actually need the walker from the panhandling. And so we've kind of targeted these individuals and it it has had an impact on the streets with the level of quality of life violations we've had to actually enforce since we started about a month ago. I
0: drive down 27th every day to come to work. And and prior to this program, especially during peak COVID, because uh, like you'd mentioned earlier, before COVID, there were facilities that were open that the transients could go to during the daytime and they wouldn't be congregating in in intersections or or near those places. During COVID, uh, driving to work in the morning, I I would drive by groups of 10, 15 or more hanging out on a corner. And in the last month, that has significantly dropped, just visible to what I've been able to see. So the impact of that, of just having a handful of beds, has made that significance of a, uh, not only a visual, but I'm I'm guessing that the impact with the crime and the 911 calls rate related in that area. Obviously, it's only been a month. We'd have to be able to compare that. But uh, I would guess
2: that the numbers would decrease there as well. Yeah, absolutely. And the big thing with COVID is we haven't had the library and I guess the general population may not realize the amount of time homeless individuals spend at the library during the day doing whatever they're doing um but it's it's not counterproductive time they're not out drinking they're not out fighting causing problems shoplifting trespassing they're just hanging out reading newspapers reading magazines maybe reading a book we don't have the library so all of the people that go there now on the streets they don't for the longest time, they weren't able to go into library or lobbies. They weren't going to Hardee's for a cup of coffee in the morning for two hours. They weren't going to Burger King or Denny's or wherever they might go. Now they're just on the street the whole time. It's a lot more time out in the elements. That's a lot more time in these groups. Um, we find that when these big transient groups get together, they devolve into about a 13-year-old boy mentality, and they start committing crimes you would imagine a, a middle schooler would commit when he gets with his friends. You know, They, they draw with markers on buildings. They pull pranks on each other. It's, it's an interesting dynamic on the street when you get these big groups together. But the one commonality is that they commit crimes and they encourage each other in the commission of crimes. Um, who's going to steal the alcohol for today? Who's going to, you know, they'll all walk by a building and they'll all write on it, whether it's peer pressure. I mean, the same things we see in junior high and high school with groups of People getting together and causing trouble is the same thing we see with this group out there. And so having those leaders in this group gone is a real benefit just to wrap that all over, wrap it up.
0: Have you guys noticed like the change in a little bit of the attitude? Because I know talking to some officers on the streets before when we weren't able to arrest for some of those minor offenses, especially at the transient population, that that ability or that knowledge of them knowing that they weren't going to go to jail was was flouted a little bit. And have you noticed the behavior change now that they're knowing that you're taking taking people to jail?
2: Yes. So a couple months ago, we had an officer stop out with a fight behind Albertsons downtown and all of the people there, including the ones watching, turned their attention on the officer. And um, if they'd had their way, they would have assaulted that officer for trying to break up this fight. Um, That should not be something that ever occurs, but knowing that they were basically immune to criminal charges, going to jail, they, that's how they were acting. And that wasn't a unique situation. We found that a lot. Um, I can stop out with guys now whether I've seen them the day before, I can tell them, I need you guys to act normal. I need you to act within the law. Don't be violating things. I can take you to jail today. Um, the next time I see them in the day, hey, what did I tell you earlier? Well, you said I could go to jail. Like, I meant it and they, I see a noticeable improvement from that. It's, it's like being able to punish a child into timeout, like keep that up. You know, we, we have repercussions now um, and I haven't had many issues lately with people bucking my authority like I was all summer.
0: I think it's an excellent tool when you combine it with, with everything else. And it's an important tool because, you know, like we've talked before on the the podcast that, you know, uh, we're, we're definitely not the ones to sit here and say, we're going to rest our way out of this problem. But at at the end of the day, at some point in time that we do have to have some type of enforcement or teeth accountability, like you said, Cody, to help kind of get these programs and keep trying to re divert these people into the treatment programs. Uh, to reduce the recidivism of all of this. Um, Cody, we haven't got to you in a little bit. Is there anything on the uh, outreach and treatment side that we're we're not covering or, that we need to talk about?
1: No. Um, one thing I'd touch on, though, off of Officer Mansur, was that the other thing that we've noticed in a change in the last few weeks with having the room in the jail is that more people are willing to go into treatment. So I think that's something that's also going to happen a lot. We, we're going to see people offering... Or self-referring into treatment so they'll approach us or whether we talk to them that day or not we'll ask them hey do you want to go into treatment today and they say yes so just I think last week we were able to get three people into treatment so that's three people off the street um, whether they stay for a whole um, treatment program or if they're just detoxing but they're more willing to work with us now and it's a combination of having the map program in the jail beds again but also the combination of the cold weather approaching So
0: I think you kind of hit on a kind of an important thing here because uh, in law enforcement, there's a few ways to affect crime. Displacement is one of them. Push it to another area uh, because that happens a lot, Uh, but also disrupting and dismantling it as well, right? It's not just the offenses itself, but the conditions that set up, like which you were talking about, uh, Brad. Um, And so that disruption, whether or not obviously ideally we would like them to get treatment, finish treatment, but if they only do two weeks of treatment, um, that's two weeks that we've disrupted that behavioral habit that we didn't have before as well. So even that ability to disrupt, uh, or, or dis- displace and, and move the stuff around affects the frequency of, of the crimes and these quality of life offenses that we're seeing. Plus I think it's beneficial for those with uh, substance
2: abuse and mental health issues to get, get some treatment. Exactly. You know, and we're rewarding people for coming forward to us if you we can offer and we've spoken with the court system. You come to us and ask for treatment and complete and get a certification through say Rimrock or wherever for a 30 day, 60 day program, we'll work with the courts and getting that, whatever outstanding warrants you have, as long as they don't have involved victims, um, we'll work on getting those dismissed. If it's open container violations, public urination violations, um, you've showed the initiative to get into treatment, even if knowing the other option was jail, you took the treatment option before you got to the jail completed a program. we'll work with you too um, get a lot of that dismissed because once someone's on the right path, the last thing they need is to keep coming back to court and maybe getting sentenced to jail or um, just other things to impede their recovery continued recovery. And so um, I've got one woman up at Roomark right now and I've made her that guarantee. Um, she's halfway through a 30 day' still in there currently knowing that when she comes out she has a completion certificate. I mean we'll go to the courts and ask for her record to be cleared of the current outstanding warrants, as long as they don't involve victims like an assault or or theft where the victim would have the say in how the case goes. So, and I think that's important to kind of highlight
0: too, because we're not out there to just write tickets and just bury people. Um, if we can use that as leverage to help encourage treatment uh, and give them a pathway to clear that up. So it's not always around them. because. Uh, you know, struggling to always try to pay the fines and fix these charges that uh, does add an extra burden. Uh, but at some point when we get to that level, we have to have some type of leverage. And mm-hmm. so that's, uh, that's good to hear. Gentlemen, anything else that we should uh, talk about before we, we close out? You guys are doing an outstanding job. I'm looking forward to hear what the rest of 2021 has to offer because even just a handful of beds, it just sounds really encouraging. The relationships you've been building, uh, the communities in behind it, uh,
2: so it's super, super good to hear. So I guess I'll just end with a quick story from this morning, actually. So the one thing we always forget, seeing these guys pan out the industry corners, they're people. Cody brought it up, too, Is you know, they're they're still members of our community. Um, one of our more tougher transients, I would say, this morning, we saw their group. They were all sober. We we stopped and had a pretty good conversation with them. And he had just found out last night that his son was in a, a horrendous car crash outside in, of our community, but in state. And his son had been brought to Billings, a, a teenager. And his son's friend had died in the crash. And this is a this is a person that the transient, the, the dad, is someone we deal with, we've been dealing with all year, all last year. Um, typically very intoxicated, but he works with the officers very well. Um, he opened up to us like I think he wouldn't just a regular officer. Um, he told us all about the issue. Um, he was crying. And I, I think that's something that the tough guy probably wouldn't, just a regular officer open up to. And so we, we have that the connection with the people who live on the streets, um, that gives us that opening. And, you know, we ended up getting him a pack, some cigarettes cause mm-hmm. he didn't have any, he needed something to calm down before he could go visit his son at the hospital. Um, and so we're, we're doing more than just law enforcement. We're trying to be, while well, we're not friends, we're a friendly face that we can be relied on by not just the community, but like the transient community as well. And, and I, I see that, I see that working as well. Excellent. I well. think
1: I think that's really important to touch on, too, is that you, you see a lot of the, um, in the social media especially, where you'll see them talking about cops targeting transients downtown. At any given moment, you can see the downtown resource officers approach these groups of transients. They they get within 30 feet, and the transients are already shouting because they're happy and yelling their names, and they're Officer Mancer, Officer Tannis, Nichols, whatever it might be they're excited to see them and just have a conversation with them. So we're, we're making those rounds every day and just connecting with these people and making that known where, when we're approaching they know they can talk to us if they need anything. So I think that's really important to say too, is that, um, we're, we're approaching them as people, not as, Oh, they're causing problems in the community and they're a nuisance. So we're looking at them like, how can I help you today? So,
0: think you guys are just uh, really doing community policing that kind of like at, at the core, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's why we have this conversation and, and record something like this for somebody who doesn't know we're just not out there just mashing people and throwing people in jail. There's a there's a method to this. Uh, and it's effective when all parties and everything is working working smoothly. Uh, and we have the resources and the ability to to use them. So, gentlemen, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, For the listeners, if you've made it all the way through, thanks for listening. And uh, stay tuned for next time. Thank you.